0: Good morning to you all. I'm so glad to see some live faces here in front of me. It's so much easier to speak to real people than to a little uh, spot on my computer, which I've been doing for the last year or more, speaking from my study at home to a little camera lens uh, in front of me and believing that people in other parts of the world can hear me. I've been working for uh, since 1992 with Vision Ministries Canada. Our focus is to plant and invigorate churches by nurturing, inspiring, and collaborating with leaders and cultivating a partnering network of churches primarily in Canada. So since 1992, we've been involved in well over 100 new church plants here in Canada. That's been a great joy to us. Uh, Many of them now are immigrant churches in the last, uh, since 2001. At that time, we had one immigrant church that we were working with. Now we have about 40. And so many of the people who are coming to this country are starting churches so that if you go to, to Toronto and other cities as well, you will find that there are two or three immigrant churches meeting in every church. It's very hard to find a place to meet. A friend of mine, an African pastor, was trying for had contacted a hundred different churches before he could find one that could give him a space to meet. And right now, I'm in the process of calling and trying to contact churches that might have a place for an immigrant church. So this has been a very lively and interesting ministry going on. During this past year, uh, you know, it has, everything has changed. I found I had more time on my hands, and so I wrote a book this year called Doing It Afraid. Not afraid to be afraid. And uh, so it's a collection of stories from my own life to encourage all, but especially church leaders, to do what Jesus told us to do, knowing that you will probably have to do it afraid. Jesus said, I want you to make disciples of non-disciples from all around the world. Go, I will be with you. When I read that, I think that's all very good, but I'm hoping somebody will go. (laughs) And many times I would say that I have done it afraid. Now, at this stage of my life, I realize that I'm speaking to many people and they don't think I'm afraid. But actually... My whole life, I have been obeying and trusting God, doing it afraid, and I want other people to learn to do that as well, to do it afraid. So I'm expecting that next Sunday we will have a quantity of those books available here for sale, and uh, I had hoped to have them today. I had spoken to Dan Allen about it, and uh, we were all ready to have them here today, but they aren't ready. So I'm hoping to bring them up uh, for next Sunday, and you will be able to get one then. The first chapter of it is uh, about a scary little church, and some of you will know it very well. Uh, I have a picture in the first chapter of this scary little church, which, has, which is the log church at Wallenstein, and which is no longer there, but the picture is here, and uh, the first building at Hawkesville. And I call it a scary little church because it seems to me that the people who began to meet there were the same people on Monday and Tuesday as they were on Sunday. They didn't just come together on Sunday to have services. They were the same people on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday as they were on Sunday. That made it a scary little church for me. I want to speak with you this morning about how big is God? When I was in my late teens, we used to sing a song, how big and wide his vast domain. To try to tell these lips can only start. And when I was thinking about speaking this week on this subject, I thought, it's too big. I don't know how to adequately explain how big God is. But it's important for us to understand that the universe is enormous that what God created is enormous. Voyager 1 was launched by NASA in 1977. Now it's over 14 billion miles away from planet Earth. 14 billion miles or almost 23 billion kilometers away from Earth. So this Voyager 1 and Voyager 2 have gone out and are continuing to send back information to planet Earth. The universe is big. When we talk about the God of all creation, we're talking about a God that is huge. It seems that we wonder, is He big enough to handle the political, the moral, the religious, the economic and social chaos of today? What's going on in Afghanistan right now, people rushing to get out of that country? What's happening in Haiti with the earthquake in Eritrea? Refugees who are here in Elmira from Eritrea, Ethiopia, where a war is going on right now, Iran, where there is constant turmoil and tension, North Korea, Burma, Myanmar, China, the USA, even in Canada, we have our share of chaos. Is God big enough for all of that? You know that our Bible heroes had hard questions for God. Job said, God... You denied me justice, and you made me taste bitterness of soul. Bible characters were not afraid to ask hard questions. David said, how long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? Like, have you ever thought that? That you've prayed for certain things, and you'd wonder, is this ever going to happen? Is it even worth it to pray? David said, will you forget me forever? Jeremiah said, Lord, you deceived me. And I was deceived. One translation says, you tricked me. (laughs) Jeremiah had a very difficult calling. John the Baptist said about Jesus, so are you the one that we were looking for or should we be looking for someone else? And Jesus, the Christ when he hung on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Hard questions. Isaiah speaks for God. And when I think of those men of old, those prophets who spoke on God's behalf, spoke so boldly, in the first part of his prophecy, he's talked about the fact that God holds his people, his nation, Judah and Jerusalem, accountable. Those first 12 chapters, it's bang, bang, bang. He's talking to them about the fact that they are accountable to him, that they are facing judgment. They are facing uh, the consequences of their horrible behavior. But he didn't only speak to them. He spoke to the nations around them. Chapters 13 to 39 are all about the nations around Israel. He's talking about Moab. He's talking about Egypt. He's talking about Babylon. He's talking about uh, Ethiopia. And I say to myself, so, does God hold nations accountable today? Look, what about Chile and uh, Venezuela and Japan and Zimbabwe and Thailand or Canada? Does God hold nations accountable today the way He apparently did in Isaiah chapters 13 to 39? And I believe that He does that the nations of today are accountable to God. And we're going to see that as we read the passage again from Isaiah chapter 40. From chapter 40 to verse chapter 66, he speaks words of comfort and hope to his people. Isaiah spoke for a big God. This God is Lord of all creation. It's speaking of him. And I love this wonderful chapter Who, God, who has measured the waters in the hollow of His hand? (laughs) The Pacific Ocean in the hollow of His hand, can you imagine? Or with the breadth of His hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket? Or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? Think about it. That spacecraft, Voyager 1, continuing on year after year. It takes very smart people to invent something like that, don't you think? Still working 44 years later. Now, don't you think that the universe itself must have a very intelligent designer, or did it really just happen by itself, but to explore it, you need intelligence? Who created these? Who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name? Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. He possesses all wisdom. Who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed Him as His counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten Him? And who taught Him the right way? Who was it that taught Him knowledge and showed Him the path of understanding? When we are gathered here like this today, or we're gathered at home and you're listening to me, when we talk about God, we're talking about a God who is vast. I know that there are lots of people who would like to give God a piece of their mind. Why is this happening? Lots of people have said to me, you know, my God would never do that. And they're kind of ordering God around. When we are listening to the Word of God, when we listen to this description of God today, we are aware, made aware of the vastness of God. He is far above kings, rulers, and politics. Surely the nations are like a drop in the bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. He brings princes to naught. I remember years ago, there was a man named Idi Amin, who was a frightening ruler of Uganda, a ruthless, terrible leader. People wondered, how can God allow this man? But he's gone. Most people today don't remember who he was. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. He blows them on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. We become very preoccupied day by day listening to the news what's happening around us, what world leaders are saying, what controversial things are being said. We need to remember that the God in whom we trust is far beyond any of them. The day will come and God will blow on them and they will be gone. Don't be terrified about them. Consider the God in whom we trust and in whom we we seek. He has chosen to save the world by... the tenacious power of sacrifice. I can't imagine this. When it comes to how God should save the world, lots of people would like to tell them how to do it. You should uh, get rid of these people who are tyrants and uh, evildoers. Get rid of them right away. But God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. So that the God who who designed this whole creation and even our own bodies, just look at your hands and your fingers, how amazing they are. You can pick up a tiny little thing because you have fingernails, like they're important. All of these things working together. But when it came to saving and delivering God has chosen to go about it in a way that is so different. All the way through the Old Testament, you can't help when you are reading there to notice that God is so tenacious and persistent with that nation of Israel, determined to get them to be a light to the nations around them, and they were equally determined not to do it. And he sends one prophet after another to speak to them. Finally, he says... I'm coming. I'm coming myself. And a body is prepared for the God of the universe to be sacrificed. It was His will for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. This is the centerpiece of God's plan for delivering the human race from the evil that confounds it. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, And God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things so that nobody may boast before Him. Boasting is something that (laughs) we are all prone to. It's not going to be that people will stand in God's presence and say, I deserve to be here. They will only be there Because they have embraced this sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, they have drawn near to Him. They have embraced Him as their Savior and their Lord. And they are walking with Him. They are taking up their cross. I want to just remind you about something. We are tempted to believe that God will or should advance His kingdom by human power. That when human beings are powerful, we want them on our side. We want political leaders on our side. The biggest threat to Christian vitality is not persecution, affluence, education, or pluralism. It's political support. This is from an article in Christianity Today in May of this year. Let me read it again. The biggest threat to Christian vitality is not persecution, not affluence, not education, not pluralism. It's political support. It's very tempting to believe that If faith only had the support or favor of political power, it would flourish more. And here we are in election time. If we can only find somebody who's a Christian and we'll vote for them and that'll make it better for us. So, easy to think that way, but it's not actually true. When religion is enforced or favored, it actually leads to trouble. Faith is at its best when it's voluntary or free. You know that the gospel flourished at a time of great adversity, a time of persecution, a time of violence. It didn't flourish at a time when Caesar said, oh, this sounds like a good idea. I think we'll buy this. It wasn't like that at all. Some evidence of this, the global church that is flourishing the most is in the global South and East, in Latin America and Africa and India and China, where it is Not easy. (laughs) I made a mistake here. Not easy for them. And the church in the north and the west is declining numerically in vigor and national and cultural influence where it has and is easy or easier. So think about this. that The parts of the world where they are resistant to Christianity and the message of Christ, the gospel is flourishing in those places where it's okay you can believe whatever you like as long as you don't bother us about it is not flourishing so much now these are generalizations that i'm making this morning but they're broadly and generally true the church of the north has some advantages and west the church of the north and the west has church history we have a long heritage we have academic knowledge and there are benefits to that material resources experienced leaders and social and political freedoms. And we have what we call institutional strengths. People in Africa long actually for those things, but they have some things that we don't have as much of. They have a more radical faith and boldness of vision. When I have been in Africa, these people are so bold. They are willing to do almost anything and if to have vision for something, oh, yes, they have vision. They don't ask, has this been done before, or do you have insurance for this? They believe that God is with them. They have evangelistic fervor and belief in the power of prayer and an uninhibited joy. Again, these are generalizations. But I just want us to understand that God is not dependent on human power and political favors in order to advance His agenda. He does it by people who are willing to take up His cross and follow Him. It may look like this is not accomplishing much, but in fact, when you look at, the, uh, at history, it has actually accomplished an enormous amount. A few recent stories. Uh, this one, I had a phone call in uh, February from a, an African pastor who I know very well. He said, Gord, my rent is going up $900 a month starting in August. I don't know what we're going to do. I also didn't know what to do. <laughs> I listened to him and I prayed with him over the phone. I spoke to a Chinese man who is both of us know well. And this Chinese pastor said, maybe we can do something about it. I didn't say anything. A week later, I spoke with him again and he said, yes we're going to be able to make up the difference for a year that a church that he is very close to back in china is going to provide the funds for this pastor in toronto to cover his rent for a year and actually they're going to more than that they're going to give him more than just cover the rent i was completely astonished But I still didn't tell anybody because we didn't have the money in the bank. (laughs) So a week later, he said, we have the money in the bank. But he said, it's actually more than they want to help. Actually, all these other new immigrant church planters, they want to help them as well. So they sent double the amount. Here is a church in China supporting church planters in Toronto. So now that I knew we had the money, I called up my African friend and I said, I told him what had happened. He said, you know Gord, I, I am so overwhelmed because I just finished in our family. We have three teenagers He said my wife and my children just finished last night 21 days of fasting and prayer about this problem wow god is doing things in ways that are unexpected they're not the power options they're not what we would anticipate this is the last thing in the whole wide world I could have imagined happening. In, 18, in the 1890s, there was a woman in, in Hamilton, Ontario, <laughs> who was praying. She was a Scottish lady. Her oldest daughter was already a missionary in China, but she was praying that her son would have some partners. And that together, they would go to the Sudan. And actually, in those days, they called everything that was the interior of Africa, they called it all the Sudan in those days. Today, it's more like Nigeria. It was dangerous. It was known as the white man's graveyard. But her son and two other young men, the oldest was 24, those three young men went, they, get to the, they got to the coast of the Sudan. There were some missionaries who told them there, this is not going to work. You're, this is not going to happen. This might happen. This won't even happen with your children. Maybe your grandchildren will be able to go to the interior. It was so deadly because of malaria. Nevertheless, they went. Two died. One came back. Can you imagine this person coming back to Woodside, recruiting people to go on the next missions trip? But a few years later, they went again, three more, again. Two were sick and had to return, and the one who survived was also sick. And went to the UK and studied medicine and learned about quinine, which became the the major medicine to treat malaria. Went a third time. This man's name is Roland Bingham, the one who survived. And he became the founder of what was called the Sudan Interior Mission, called SIM today. In those days, there were so few Christians. Today, sub-Saharan Africa has 700 million people who name the name of Christ. It has something to do with today because last year, we sponsored or helped to sponsor a man, a Nigerian man, sponsored by a branch of the Sudan Interior Mission, SIM. But this little branch has 8,000 churches in Nigeria, many of them large churches. And so they wanted to start. They call themselves EQUA, Evangelical Church Winning All. There's not much doubt about what they are about. They wanted to send this man. He was being trained in the US. Uh, a friend of mine, David Knight in Waterloo, knew about him because of his daughter who lives in Boston, where he was going to school. So we met him and we sponsored him to come to Toronto to start churches among Nigerians in Toronto or in Canada. And uh, he came in the middle of COVID in December. December 1st, he landed in Toronto. And... Uh, I was helping him write an update for people who are supporting him. So he had written it up and I was helping him a bit with the grammar and the punctuation and so on. And um, uh, he said, do you think it would be okay if we would send this to our headquarters in Nigeria? I said, sure. He said, well, what about on our radio station in Nigeria? He said, they are excited about this, that we are having the opportunity to do ministry in the motherland. (laughs) Canada, the motherland for this network of churches of 8,000 churches in Nigeria alone. So when God does something, it may look like the sacrifice of His Son was accomplishing very little. It may look like those who were following Him were like nobodies. But don't kid yourself. The God who is the God of creation, the God of the universe, the God who chose, deliberately chose to save and to deliver humankind from evil, did it in a way that is shocking and surprising to us. He calls us to follow in His steps. This is a Zoom call that I will be on, God willing, on Friday. These are all Persians. These are all people from Iran. And I know that some people in Canada are bugged about people from all around the world coming here and they're taking our jobs and all kinds of things. But I can tell you that there are churches starting among these people all over the place. And so here, these are Iranians who are church leaders and pastors. They are from Turkey, they're from Georgia, they're from the United States, from Europe, from Canada from everywhere. They are coming together online to talk and to pray and to support each other. This is one of the most exciting things that is happening today is that people from Iran where it's illegal on the pain of death to convert to Christianity are converting. They're saying, we don't care. They're determined. Yesterday, this church in Toronto, the pastor up in the top left-hand corner, they have a church in Toronto, and pre-COVID, they were had about 300 people meeting on a Sunday evening there. This is the most fun church I have ever got to preach in. These people all know where they came from. They all know that they were lost in, in darkness. They, the pastor says, when people come to our church, they often are in tears, and they ask me, Why is this happening? And I say to them, I don't know. (laughs) Because the presence of God is among them and to be with them. So on Friday of this week, I'm planning to speak to this group of about 20 or 25 people about the furnace of affliction, about the adversity and the hardships that they may go through and that many of God's people have gone through. And that's something they've asked me to speak about on Friday. Afghanistan. My goodness. What a mess. What a shock and surprise. But there's a man in Mississauga by the name of Obed. I call him Obed the Afghan. And uh, he was a part of the Taliban in his high school years. And he said, when we graduated, they just turned us loose on the city of Kabul. We could go out and beat people. If a woman had a little bit of hair sticking out, we could beat her. Even if she didn't have hair, we could beat her anyway. Here is a country in chaos. And Obed is exceptional at doing online ministry. So he is doing evangelism and teaching online all around the world. He is fearless. And, uh, and a few months ago when Peter Johnson, the Nigerian, came, I got the two of them on Zoom, and Obed the Afghan was teaching Peter the Nigerian how to do ministry online. Obed is very clever on this. <laughs> he knows exactly, and he wasn't only te- teaching in the technology. He said, you know, you have to phone people. You have to follow them up. It was very special. And so now he is arranging for... Uh, people who are willing to help support uh, refugees who are fleeing from that country. Last year, I was with Indy Jun Chin in Burma, also called Myanmar. He and his family have been living in Winnipeg since the mid-90s, and Indy is an exceptional man. When I was there, he was involved in setting up an agricultural center, bringing people from Israel through Singapore to teach the people in his home state how to do modern agriculture. Setting up a school. All of this kind of under the radar because this is a country that is run by a military regime that is ruthless and kills people. So since last November, the government, the military has shot and killed about 1,000 people who uh, were protesting against them. Indy is stuck there because of COVID and because of the coup, both. And uh, he's staying with his parents. His father is an invalid now. But his mother is quite feisty and uh, 78 years old. And Indies, who, by the way, he got this name because he was helping people in Thailand escape uh, and, uh, so his friend, and because of what he did his friends nicknamed him Indiana Jones and so to this day he has the name Indy but uh, he was thinking that maybe he should slip away into the rural part of Burma and hide from the government because he's in danger, both because of COVID and because of the coup, the military coup. Because they know about him. And uh, his mother said to him, well, why would you do that? If they want to shoot us, let them shoot us in our house. What's wrong with that? I'd like you to pray for him. Pray for his safety with so much love for there to be a miracle that would bring him out of Burma and back to his family in, uh, in Winnipeg. But pray for him, pray together with us. A group of 10 of us are praying, have been praying for a year every Friday morning on Zoom with him uh, for his safety uh, in Burma. Uh, in India, uh, Isaac Shaw, who I've met a number of times, he's the president of Delhi Bible Institute He says that in India, we have two great advantages, poverty and persecution. (laughs) And I'm thinking, oh, this is not what I thought. Poverty and persecution. He said in India, people are living from day to day. They are earning today what they're going to eat tomorrow. They are in need all of the time. Millions of them. And so they are responsive. They are not... In the situation like in Canada where we've got a fridge full and a freezer full and, and uh, we can go and get anything we want this afternoon if what we see in the fridge doesn't suit us, it's not like that. And I've been talking to people there who are severely persecuted. And in fact, Isaac Shaw himself said to us that we sent out teams into remote areas of India to declare the good news of Jesus there. And he said, one of the teams went into a remote area, and their leader, their team leader was murdered. And they called him, and they said, what should we do? Can we come back? He said, don't come back. I'm coming. When I think about that, there is a kind of fire and a kind of energy and a kind of vigor that surrounds that kind of obedience that isn't found just anywhere. How big is God? He is the deliverer of a troubled world, of the weak, of the sick, of the oppressed and the dispossessed. Let us embrace Him, His sacrifice following in His steps, and as you do, you will discover how big God is because most of us would think we would prefer that God would give us a gigantic booster shot of courage, and then we would go. But in fact, He said, I want you to go, and you will receive the courage and the strength as you go. That's how He does it. He calls us to follow in His steps He says, I will be with you till the end of the age. Most of you will need to do it afraid. But by all means, do it. We have a big God. We worship Him. When we go from here, we are walking on this planet that is hanging on nothing. He holds it there. The nations are like a drop in the bucket. We're like grasshoppers, it says. But we're very important grasshoppers to Him. May it be that today, wherever we go, we will take with us this thought that we serve a God who is big beyond our imagination and who calls us to follow in the steps of His Son. May it be so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to You today and we are grateful for Your faithfulness. Thank You that from the beginning of time You understood and knew what was going to happen. And so here we are all all this time later, which seems like a lot to us, but it's like nothing to You. Father, may it be that we would be gripped by the power of your love, the power of your tenacious sacrifice for us, the deep invitation that you give to us to follow in your steps. Father, we bless you and honor you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.